Bibles this morning. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 as we um, move into Holy Week this morning. This will be Holy Week for us for the time that we're doing this. If you're listening on the uh, radio or podcast, you might be catching this at a later date, but this is the uh, Sunday before Easter. And uh, those of you who are watching by Facebook Live, we're sorry you can't be here with us today, but we're glad you're able to join us that way. Uh, just to remind you guys that we are having a uh, Good Friday service this Friday at 7 o'clock. Brother Gary Holloway is going to be preaching. Uh, if you feel better by then, we'd love for you to be a part of that service. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, the first 11 verses we're going to look at today as we um, talk about an on-purpose parade. All right, an on-purpose parade. Look, if you will, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Now... When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went, did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set them on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Some cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes went before them, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all this city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Um, talk about parades today. Some parades uh, go off well, and some parades don't go off so well. Uh, anytime you get a bunch of uh, teenagers in marching bands and singers trying to lip sync songs, and uh, old men on motorcycles and horses and donkeys trailing trail through the streets, uh, you're just asking for some things to go wrong. You mix in some big helium balloons and floats and some guy driving his hay, hay truck and uh, a bunch of kids on the back of it jumping up and down. And you're just asking for something to go wrong. Some of the more memorable things from the Macy's Day Parade that went wrong, Kermit was in the parade in 1991 and uh, had an encounter with a lamppost. And you see Kermit there not looking real festive, is he? Kermit got his head deflated. And uh, I don't know what he sounds like when he did that, but he didn't do real well. Superman got in a problem as well. Superman lost a hand. And uh, sad when the man of steel loses a hand, doesn't it? It kind of loses your confidence in his ability to come uh, save you. But anyway, he lost a hand. How many of you remember Mighty Mouse? Anybody remember Mighty Mouse? Some Mighty Mouse fans in here? Do you remember the song from Mighty Mouse? The song from Mighty Mouse says, Mr. Trouble never hangs around when he hears this mighty sound. Here I come to save the day. Here I come to save the day. That means Mighty Mouse is on the way. Well, Mighty Mouse uh, had an uh, unfortunate incident where he didn't actually save the day. He actually crashed. <laughs> caused some real issues there with that one. I got one last one. In 1990, this is uh, some of your parents' dreams. In 1997, Barney got in trouble. The wind got high. <laughs> the wind got high. Folks were getting flailed around. They decided to bring Barney in, and the policeman ran and stomped on him and stabbed him. Anybody wish they were part of that? They say amen. amen. <laughs> 
Some of y'all want to get on a stabbing and stomping. Some parents think that's a little bit too funny right there, stomping and stomping on Barney. When Jesus was in something of a parade the week of the Holy Week on Palm Sunday, it was an on-purpose parade. Nothing went wrong. And what I want you to see this morning as we talk about this is that uh, Jesus did this on purpose. Uh, Jesus, all through his ministry, acted like, because he was, in control of all the events that's going on around him. And there were times when Jesus said, it's not my time yet, but at this time, oh, and he comes into Jerusalem and people are crying out Hosanna and they're laying down their clothes and palm branches before him. Uh, this is what's called the triumphal entry and Jesus is making a huge statement here. What we're going to see this morning is that he's absolutely doing it on purpose. Now, what happens in Holy Week, just give you just a, a real thumbnail sketch of Holy Week. Now, Jesus gets in Bethany on Friday before Palm Sunday, stays with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That's where Mary anoints his body uh, for his burial. And then on Sunday, you have the triumphal entry where he, where he rides into Jerusalem, and he's riding in as a king. And then on Monday, he cleanses the temple. That's where everybody likes, I want to be like Jesus when he gets mad and turns over the tables, you know. Uh, so that happens on, on, on Monday. On Tuesday, he teaches. And boy, he really upsets a lot of people with the Pharisees and Sadducees teaching in the temple. Wednesday, we don't know. We don't know what happened on Wednesday. He went to prayer meeting, I think. And uh, <laughs> prayer meeting, teaching RAs and GAs on, on Wednesday night. And so something like that. On uh, Thursday, of course, the Last Supper, the crucifixion's on Friday, the resurrection is on Sunday. That's what happens. Uh, this, this is what happens to Jesus this week. This is what we call uh, Holy Week. But what I want you to see here on this parade, this triumphal entry, is that Jesus is in control every event that happens here. And the story starts with him approaching Jerusalem. He sends two disciples uh, to go get a donkey with her colt, colt her foal, her baby. And uh, they just say, if anybody asks you, why do you want this uh, donkey and her baby? You're to say, the Lord has need of this. And See either Bethpage, which is a little village we don't know anything about, or Bethany. It's a little bit squirrely on some of the um, different gospel accounts, which village he actually goes to. But anyway, they get a donkey, they get the colt, and Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem. And uh, the crowd is there. There's a lot of people there hollering and stuff like that. They're putting down uh, palm branches. They're putting down their, their clothes before him. And the idea of that is this is something you do for the coronation of a king. This is something you do for a victorious general coming back from war. You're saying you are high up and we're low down. We're putting you on a pedestal. This is kind of a parade meant for a king. And it fulfills prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9, 9. The Bible said, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, let me, let me just give real quick what's going on in Jerusalem there, they say, because there's, there's, there's a lot of things at play here that's coming to a head at the same time. One is, in the Roman Empire, um, back before the time of Jesus, just uh, 50 years or so, there was a guy named Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar uh, becomes kind of the first emperor or kind of leads up to the first emperor. And when he dies, his son Octavian, adopted son Octavian, takes the throne. And Octavian declares that Julius Caesar was God. And so he takes, Octavian takes the name Augustus Octavian Caesar, who is now officially son of God. If you were to ask anybody in the Roman Empire who's the son of God, 
The politically correct answer would be Augustus Octavian Caesar. And he was the emperor when Jesus was born, okay? He was the emperor when Jesus was born from 27 B.C. to his death in A.D. 14. When he died, his son Tiberius took over, who immediately said that, um, that Octavian was divinized. He was God. And so now Tiberius, from 14 to 37, through the rest of the ministry of Jesus, politically correct, he's the son of God. If you were to ask a Roman citizen, who's the son of God? Well, it's Tiberius. Well, you can imagine how this goes in Jerusalem because they have no king but God, right? And there's a lot of uh, messianic hope around this time. There were some other guys that came and trying to fulfill messianic prophecy. They look at me. How dare they say they're God? The Jews can't abide this. And so there's a... There's a lot of, um, um, of, of rumors, there's a lot of work going around Jerusalem, a lot of expectation going around Jerusalem that the Messiah is coming. Uh, of course, Jesus enters the scene now, and he's doing these miracles and things like that, and people are wondering if, if he's the Messiah, and he's, you know, it's not my time yet. But in Matthew 21, the other four Gospels, they all take care, they all have this incident in them. What Jesus does in the midst of this country, in the midst of all this storm, kind of the perfect storm of messianic expectation and Rome calling their emperors God, in the middle of these two perfect storms, Jesus rides in and says, I'm the king. And that's what you got to get with the triumphal entry. Uh, before this, Jesus said, my time has not come yet. But now at Passover, Passover is what? The deliverance from Egypt, death of the firstborn. This is where God's people are set free from the ungodly king, from the dictator, the ruler kind of the world. And they're celebrating that. And he says, now look, he rides in on a donkey. And it's very clear what Jesus is saying. I'm the king. I'm riding in as king into Jerusalem. So I want to see, I want to see three things about this. I, and, and, and I really want us to understand, Jesus knows what he's doing. He's in control of what he's doing. He's purposely doing this. So let me talk about three things that Jesus is doing here. Number one, he's saying, I am king. He's forcing the issue. He's doing it deliberately. He's choosing his time. He's choosing the place and he's choosing the method. Look at Matthew 21, 8 to 9. It says in a new international version and a very large crowd will spread their cloaks on the road while others uh, cut branches uh, from the trees and spread them uh, on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them uh, those that follow shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. It's a multitude, bunch of people. Where are they coming from? A lot of them's coming from Bethany and Bethphage. Jesus has just been staying at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Y'all remember what happened there? Not too many days in the past, he did what? He raised Lazarus from the dead. And then he tells them, go get a colt that no one's ever ridden on. And if word of this, we don't know, but if word of this gets out, there's this messianic expectation. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. People are doing all these miracles. And all of a sudden, he has this donkey coat coming in. He starts to ride it. What are people saying? He is the king. He is the Messiah. So all these people from Bethany and Bethphage have probably found out about this. People in Jerusalem have found out about this. They say that the population of Jerusalem around this time, somewhere thirty to 50,000 uh, during Passover, uh, you could have 150,000 there on a day. Some people said it went up to a million people or more uh, during Passover week. 
Huge crowds. Jesus picks that time. And he rides in. And so there's probably hundreds if not thousands of people following Jesus then. Hundreds if not thousands of people laying palm branches. Now, which is a symbol of victory. So it's what you celebrate a king with. It's what you celebrate a, a victorious general with. They're laying their clothes down before him. And they're crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is a quote from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm. They're, they're, they're saying that Jesus is what? He's letting them. He's not saying don't say anything. He's not saying that's not true. He's not, they are proclaiming him, what? Hosanna to the son of David. Who's the son of David? That's the royal king, the expected king, the deliverer of the Israelite people. Here he comes. Hosanna. The word Hosanna means save now. Save now. It came to be an expression of praise. Do you know what other verses in Psalm 118? As I said, it's the Messianic psalm. This is a psalm celebrating the Messiah. Do you know what other verses in Psalm 118? Psalm 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We'll be glad and rejoice in it. Now, we say that a lot, right? And then, well, we do. This is the day the Lord's made. We can't rejoice and be glad in it. But what they're saying is, this is the day the king comes. Today the king is coming into Jerusalem. This is the day the Messiah is coming. And we're going to rejoice and be glad in this. And so this is a, a word of praise, a word of celebration. God has sent the Messiah in our day. And Jesus doesn't stop them. He doesn't say anything to, to quilt it. As a matter of fact, Rhonda alluded to it earlier in Luke chapter 19, verses 39 to 40, the New International Version it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. What's he saying? He's doing this on purpose. I'm the king. I'm riding in Jerusalem. He's demonstrating that he is no victim. This is not mass hysteria. This is not all of a sudden the, uh, everybody kind of got caught up in the emotion of the moment, the kind of a crowd mentality and and Jesus kind of gets swept away with this euphoria. not that at all. He says they have to cry out. He wants them to cry out. This is what they're supposed to be doing is cry out. Signaling what? Listen, I am the king. Your king is riding into Jerusalem. See, out, all through Jesus' public career, he acted like he was in charge because he was. And now, watch, get this, get this. Now what he does is ride in and he's forcing the issue. He's calling them to place a decision. And I pray this morning that if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus or you've kind of walked away from Jesus, I trust today that you hear Jesus calling you to a decision. Jesus says, crown me or kill me. That's what Tim Keller writes. Crown me or kill me. I'm, I'm the king. You've got to make a decision about me here. Before he said, my time has not come. Now he says what? My time is come. See, guys, sometimes people get the idea that Jesus, this nice guy, goes around encouraging people, give them a nice devotional thought, help them kind of improve their lives, help them kind of feel a little bit better about themselves. But you don't kill somebody that does that. 
Somebody goes around, look, man, I want you to feel a little bit better today. Here's a little nice thought for you, you know, a little nice devotional thought. Here's something to kind of make you feel better. Here's a little something to make your day go better. Here's something that can improve your life a little bit, kind of like a consultant, kind of spiritual, emotional consultant. That's not what Jesus is. It's not what he came to do. He came to be king. He came to take over, to be the ruler, as it was. It's a, he may be forcing the issue on you today. Sometimes we don't recognize it, but sometimes I wonder if the, um, the frustration that comes in our life, the anger that boils up inside of us, that sense of being overwhelmed at times in life, sense of, you know, life is just not working right, a sense of disjointedness in life, I wonder sometimes if that's just God's way of helping us to see that Jesus is not your king. It's not going to run the way God intended your life to go if Jesus is not king. And as I said, he's not here to help you feel inspired. He's not here just to help you have a nice thought, your day to go better, have warm faith, come to be king. I was sitting somewhere, that's probably 20, 25, 30 years ago. I wasn't part of this conversation, I was, but I could, the people were talking fairly loud, and I was kind of not too far from them. And so I can't help but overhear the conversation. They start talking about church, and so I kind of eavesdrop a little bit, you know, and, and it's obvious that these people are Catholic, and um, the Catholic Church had just come out with a, a statement, and I don't remember the particulars about the statement, but they come out with a statement saying um, that fornication and adultery are sins, and that Catholics should abstain from fornication and adultery. They got it right, right? The Bible says they get some pushback on, you know, loosening the sexual wars about the Catholic Church and Catholic people. And so they were talking about this statement. And their take on it was, and this is almost an exact quote. I remember it sticking out in my mind. Their almost exact quote was, the Catholic Church needs to keep its nose out of our bedrooms. In other words, teach us about being nice on Sunday. Don't mess with how we live our lives. And we can look at that and say, man, I can't believe they would say that. But I wonder this morning if there's anything that you and I are saying to Jesus, I'd really like you to keep your nose out of this part of my life. I'd really like you to kind of keep your distance from this part of my life. So here's your weekly growth suggestion. Pray about this thought. Is Jesus really, okay, yeah, are there some areas? And I would say there is, and I know there is in my life. I would say there probably is in most of our lives. Are there any areas in our life that... We might need to say, Jesus, you know, I've been kind of running the show here. I've been acting like king uh, in my entertainment world, in my social media world, in my married world, in my, in my friendship world, in my work world, my money world, whatever it, whatever it is. Uh, Lord, I need to give you this and let you be the king of this part right here. You ever hear anybody say something like this? Who died and looked at you in charge? But Jesus died and rose from the dead. Deserves to be in charge. Second thing, which is, first of all, he's saying, I am king. Secondly, he's saying, not what you think. <laughs> he, the king typically rides in on a stallion, typically a white stallion, huge horse. He rides in with warriors and ar you know, his armies with him and his generals are with him. And, and it's a big show of power and authority. And Jesus doesn't ride in like that. It's not what they think. I mean, there's probably... Some issues they want Jesus to work on as a political king, right? Probably some issues like the taxes are too high. Or some issues like unfair court system that was terrible. 
Probably some issues like abuse of power. There was that for sure. Probably some issues like bad political decisions. Absolutely. That's probably the kind of things they're like, man, you need to straighten some of this stuff out. And Jesus is like, that's not what you think. I'm not coming to straighten the political system out just right, just yet. I'm coming gentle and lowly. I'm coming with a heart for people. I'm coming with a heart that wants people to see they can have peace with God. By your sin, you've declared war against God. That's why the Bible says when we were enemies, Christ died for us. He, and he's saying, I'm, I'm come, not what you think, I'm, I'm coming offering peace. Riding on a donkey's coat is the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. It says, behold, I am your king, but... I am gentle and lowly. It kind of reminds us of Matthew 11 where Jesus says, my heart is gentle and lowly. Not coming to force his way upon anybody. And in fact, he comes in a very different way than we think. Nobody rides a donkey at a coronation. It's kind of like a coming at war against tanks with a BB gun, right? You know, this is not the way you do this, but... Interestingly enough, when he rides in on Sunday, this is traditionally the day when the Jewish people chose their Passover lambs. This is the day they picked out their lamb that they're going to sacrifice on Passover. Passover representing what? Their salvation, their deliverance from Egypt. The death angel goes through the firstborn of everybody that didn't have the blood on the doorpost of their house. The firstborn was killed in all those houses. And so they had to pick out a, a lamb to sacrifice with the blood on the doorpost. And now Jesus rides in on selection day. Can't miss him. What's he saying? I am the Passover lamb. I am the one that brings peace. I am the one that brings deliverance. I am the one who brings you an opportunity to escape spiritual and eternal death. I'm the one who's come not to just kick Rome out. I've come to be with you, for you. Ann Boscant wrote uh, this last week in her blog, she was writing about a time when she and her husband went through some uh, serious grief. They're going through some change points, a time of uh, new relationships and new uh, connections, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, she writes, there was an unexpected, heartbreaking chapter that became, in her words, achingly, painfully alone. She writes, crisis can make you feel like you have leprosy. And when you most need people, you can often feel most shunned. Anybody understand that? Yeah. She said at 3 a.m., we'd wake up, me and my husband, and we would wander to the kitchen, simply cry, and cling to each other. Grief, she says, is devastatingly cold. And she talks about after an emergency session with a therapist, that tells you this is really hard times, right? After one of the emergency session with her therapist, she said, I thought long and hard about how we tend to respond to people in pain. And she said, people in pain aren't a puzzle to be solved, but are people to provide for. Suffering isn't a riddle to unlock, but a call to enter in and unlock redemptive hope. The question isn't, she writes, who is to blame or shame? The question is, how can this story change me, change a community to live out 
grace. She says, and I love this last line, withness, W-I-T-H-N-E-S-S. Probably not a word, but Anne's really good at coming up with her own words. Withness is always what waters our wilderness. Jesus rode in on a donkey to say what? In your pain, in your shame, in your sin, in your helplessness, I've come to be with you. I've come to bring grace to your sin, to bring hope to your heartache, to bring a way out of the wilderness. I, you see, you expect, this is not what they expect, you expect people to die for their king, but here the king dies for his people. This leads me to my last point. My last point is this. Jesus says, I've come here to save. I am king, I'm not what you think, and I am here to save. I'm not coming to slay you, I'm coming to save you. <laughs> He came as an offering. He came as a peace offering. And, and so we, we, why can we submit to Jesus as king? Why would we give our lives to somebody that wants to take over? Because he gave his life for you. Because he died in your place. There's a song that says, I should have been crucified. I should have been crucified. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. Laura asks, you know, Laura, you know, we do funerals and things like that. And Laura, sometimes you get thinking about things. And, and Laura has asked before what songs you want sung at your funeral and things like that. I don't really know, but that, that may be one of them. Why? Because anything good that comes from our life is because of Jesus. What did I have to offer him? Sin. Broken promises. Shame. I could have done better. I didn't do better. And what does he offer me? Payment for my sin, forgiveness. He offers to save me. And so what we want to do is say, Lord, what? Save now. That's what Hosanna means, save now. I wonder, are we willing to say, save me, not just as a, um, you know, a, a time where you give your life to Jesus and become a Christian, but I wonder if we're willing to say, Lord, would you save me now from whatever gets in the way of me having a genuine relationship with you? Not just forgive me of it. Yes, yes, yes. But would you save me from that thing that tries to diminish the fruit in my life, to diminish the authenticity with you in my life? And so this Holy Week, this Easter Week, you have a king, man. You have a king who is not what we think, and he came to save us, and so we want to submit to him and to invite others to submit. You know, we had a funeral this last week uh, for Tommy Sowell here at our church. Many of you, most of you knew Tommy. Tommy um, is a great part of our church. Um, and sometimes people say, which one is he? I say, he is the one that when I baptized him, he had oxygen on. <laughs> and he took the oxygen off and handed it up to Jack. We baptized him. The oxygen handed back to Jack. He puts the oxygen back on. He's once been sitting in a wheelchair in the aisle. He had oxygen on. Do you know why? He came to Hopewell and gave his life to Christ. Somebody invited him. Somebody invited him. I'd like him to come to church with me. And he did. And today, he's in the presence of Jesus. Holy Week. Good Friday. Easter. What a great time. If you haven't invited somebody lately, what a great time to invite somebody. Hey, come with me. Church this Sunday. You can sit with me. We'll go. You can come over to our house and eat. I'm going to let you and the preacher come to my house and eat. <laughs> it's just an idea. This coming Sunday. 
Is Jesus your king? Have you forgotten what being a king really looks like? I I've shared this with the church before, but it's been a while, and some of you are new, and you may not have seen this, and even those of you who have seen it, it uh, I don't think it hurts you to do it one more time. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a preacher that's passed away. His name was S.M. Lockridge. And he preached a sermon, and during that sermon, he started talking about, that's my king. Let's give S.M. Lockridge a, a listen, and then we'll close. Please.